Hey there, welcome back to another episode of CupyCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Then you're in the right spot. I'm Brittany Nisbet and I use she and her pronouns. I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns, reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more, kicking ass for the working class one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of CUPE, in a union, wish you were in a union, or just found us while browsing, you're definitely in the right place. And I'm Brianna Plummer. I go by she, her pronouns. It's Pride Month, and many QP members work in public services that host Pride Flag rise, Raisings, Drag Story Times, two LGBTQIA plus school clubs, and more. But these services are under attack. As the backlash and rhetoric against the 2S LGBTQIA plus people has grown, so has the threats and the bigotry around pride and drag. We will explore how we can ensure safer spaces and organize support on the ground. And you'll hear firsthand experience from a fabulous drag queen, Violet Seductions, who has gone, who has done many drag shows at libraries. You're listening to CupyCast episode 26, Drag Artists Under Attack, What Do We Do Slay? I want to begin with a bit of a content warning, as we will be discussing how workers in libraries, schools, and pride events have been subjected to hate and bigotry. There have been threats, hate, intimidation to workers who are hosting 2S LGBTQIA plus events, such as drag story times. It is important to discuss what workers are facing and how we can support, but for some, the subject matter may be triggering. And at many union conventions, this has been discussed, and it has always been a powerful movement where both workers and members of the community share what they face. Sometimes there are tears, and the discussion on these resolutions of support are really important. Yes, at the CUPE Ontario Convention, there was an emergency resolution on anti-hate flying squads written by the OSBCU, and you could hear a pin drop when the delegates were speaking their truth. Yeah, that's a good place to start. And if folks haven't been to a convention before, if you can hear a pin drop, that's very quiet because there's like a, a thousand a thousand people in the room and there's a lot of chatter usually going on in that room. Yeah. So, so that's a good place to start this discussion. Uh, let's talk about the resolutions at both CUPE Ontario Convention and Canadian Labor Congress Convention. And uh, so as mentioned, there was an emergency resolution submitted by Ontario School Board Council of Unions at CUPE Ontario Convention that said, um, and I'll just quote, CUPE Ontario will work with sectors, CUPE district councils, and committees to develop anti-hate flying squads to provide support to counter protests against the ever-increasing demonstrations at school board trustee meetings and public libraries across the province. The resolution goes on to state, quote, CUPE Ontario will provide training and education materials to members around Ontario human rights and the requirements of publicly funded schools to support 2S LGBTQIA plus students and staff, including and not limited to the flying of the pride flag during the month of June and beyond. It then states, because organizations such as Action for Canada are targeting our school board meetings, spreading misinformation, and hate around reading materials curriculum and the flying of the pride flag, like the swarming outbursts at the York Catholic District School Board on April 25th, 2023. We are now seeing education workers and teachers being targeted in their schools and on social media solely based on their commitment to provide safe spaces and hate-free schools. Public libraries have also been targets through the call for book bans and protesting drag queen reading. 
Yeah, so that's the resolution. And if I remember correctly, this resolution may have even passed unanimously, which means over 900 delegates voted in favor of this. Uh, this means now there will need to be resources provided to get this anti-hate flying squad up, or flying squads, I should say, up and running through QP Ontario. Along with the text that we received from QP Ontario's convention, we also have the text from the CLC resolution, which states, quote, the CLC will encourage and support affiliates to condemn attacks against workers, families, and communities that support and defend trans, drag, and the 2S LGBTQIA plus events and create flying squads to promote meaningful support to workers, organizations, and communities facing attacks, and the call for an emergency tax force to develop a guide outlining health and safety tools for affiliates to ensure the safety of workers where the events occur. And the because states, workers in libraries, school, and pride events have been subject to weekly anti-2SLGBTQIA plus hate, threats, and intimidation for hosting trans and drag storytime events. 2SLGBTIA plus workers experience hate, threats, intimidation. This is a workplace health and safety issue. Yeah, and it goes on to say affiliates cannot be bystanders as 2SLGBTQIA plus rights are human rights and violent threats are escalating weekly across Canada. And uh, with the, the resolution stating this week, an Ontario public library was targeted with threats to workers, performers, families and their children. Uh, this resolution was submitted by the National Union of General and Public Employees, known as NUPGI. Uh, and also, I just want to realize, I'm just realizing as we're talking that we're using a lot of acronyms. And if folks listen to our podcast, um, Queer Liberation, Not Rainbow Capitalism, we uh, do a deep dive into uh, acronyms there. So uh, folks yeah. might want to listen yeah. to that one. Um, but back to this resolution, it's it was an important debate at the CLC. And if I once again remember correctly, almost unanimously supported, if not unanimously. And I'm assuming that much of this work will be done at the Labor Council level. And I'm assuming with these two resolutions, folks will be working on the ground together because they're very similar. And both resolutions mm -hmm. had many impactful speakers. And we actually have a soundbite from Michelle Campbell, who spoke on the OSBC resolution at the QP Ontario convention. So let's hear from Michelle. Hi, my name is Michelle Campbell from Local 1734, and I fully support this resolution. As an education worker from York Region, I pride myself on being a proud ally for both my students and co-workers. And as the mom of a 2S LGBTQ teacher who also works in my board, sadly, Pride Month is when she will face the most hostility from families, merely because she loves a woman. Not being able to protect her from this breaks my heart. At the school I work at, I am a safe person to turn to, and in the last two years, I've had more than a dozen kids come out to me. Quite often, I am the first person they tell. It is my job to keep them safe. Just recently, I spent my day at work investigating transphobic hate among our intermediate students and then ensuring this hateful behavior stop. This too breaks my heart. With hate groups feeling emboldened by far right-wing politicians to spread their hateful rhetoric to students and staff in schools and in libraries, we must counter the hatred with our love and protection with this anti-hate fly squad resolution. As educators, and this is all of you, we have a mandate to keep every single student safe. It is our role to ensure 
Every child feels a sense of belonging and acceptance in our schools. As a group, OSBCU education workers saw the importance of solidarity. When we stood united side by side last fall, we changed the labor landscape. I know we will continue to use that same power to make good trouble with this resolution. Thank you. And so it looks like we'll be seeing more and more resources for flying squads. Shout out to the ones that are already in the works, such as the YCBSB Students for Change, who are also on Instagram. You can find them at YCDBSB Students for Change. They are working to challenge norms, break barriers, and fight for change. We'll make sure we'll link to their Instagram in the show notes. Um, they're run by students, for students, and they organized a walkout on June 8th. Their materials had said on June 8th, although YCDBS schools walk out of class at 1.15 p.m. and wear rainbow colors instead of your uniforms, our trustees and administration have failed us. Now we must act. I love that they did that. They had some great stories on their Instagram of groups of students uh, from the schools walking out with pride flags and signs, and some even used chalk to write on the sidewalks outside. Yeah, and they were also featured in the CBC News article titled Students Walk Out Over Your Catholic School Board Decision Not to Fly Pride Flag. It had some great quotes from the students and their parents as to why this walkout was so important and what the pride flag means for them. So... I'm going to admit here that like I wasn't 100% sure how to start a flying squad. I think I have like a general idea. And like after doing some like research for this episode, I'm pretty sure I've got it all. Uh, but basically, uh, so from like what I've seen happen and for folks who maybe aren't sure, because, you know, sometimes starting a flying squad can be really intimidating because um, yeah. it's like, you know, how am I going to get all those people together? Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's, so it, mm -hmm. it, it, it can be intimidating. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on like how to start one and and how we think they all work. Uh, so basically, from what I've seen happen is a group of people organically come together to protest or act on an issue. So an example that like comes to mind for me, um, it also relates to this podcast uh, episode perfectly, uh, is that there was a drag brunch at a local restaurant in Niagara. It was in Welland. It was a few months ago. And so folks got wind that there was going to be a protest against the brunch and the drag artists. Um, so on Facebook, someone posted that they were going to counter protest and also be in front of the windows of the restaurant. So the folks inside at the brunch couldn't see all of the hate outside. So others commented that they would go and they would join. And then community groups such as Out Niagara and Pride Niagara also got involved and word got out uh, from through them as well. I'm not sure if they started it. They might have. But I can't be 100% positive. My memory was failing me at who start who actually started it. But that's kind of like how it happened. So there ended up being a really large group who attended and counter protested. And it was super organic. It was super successful. And of course, I had to work so I couldn't go. I always work during the fun things. <laughs> <laughs> but it looked amazing. It looked like it went really well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly it, Brittany. A lot of flying squads are actually on Instagram. So a group may post on Instagram in their stories that they're counter-protesting an event. Um, they will give time and a location and ask folks to attend or join. Yeah, 
And like through, like I said, through researching and stuff, I realized that like my QP council is is actually really good at doing this. So they'll email whenever Doug Ford's in the area, so we can go and protest. <laughs> <Yep>. Ford <laughs> watch, Ford watch. Exactly, exactly. So then we can go and protest if we're not working and we're available. And uh, last week I received an email a few times through this week as well that they were planning to counter protest at the district school board of Niagara board and trustee meeting, and it was actually in relation to. Uh, some anti-hate uh, things that were happening. Um, so on Friday, June 16th, uh, there was a series of coordinated protests, and these were actually planned across the provinces, or across the province at all of the board meetings. So QP councils and others got together to counter protests. So it wasn't just specific to Niagara. They were at all of the school boards. Yeah, I think this was actually a Canada-wide action. Um, was it? From folks that were against the curriculum like any lgbtq to us lgbtqia plus content in the school system so um i think uh like a group organized it across canada and so then there were these counter protests mm-hmm. i think all across canada and you know a lot oh. of QB district i know yeah it's spreading it's everywhere and people think this is only a problem in the states it's not it's it's in canada big time yeah and um a lot of what QP district councils or labor councils do um, is exactly what you two have described, right? They get the word out or they'll have like a signal group or a WhatsApp chat group where folks will post about needing support. Um, and the main thing is that there's a clear communication of time, date, place, what to bring. Like Durham Region Labor Council does a great job on Instagram with the stories or like the slides. And it will say like if there's certain slogans or signs or flags or something to bring that. Um, and also it's super important to mention that if there's a counter protest, It may be intense or others may be volatile. And so it might mention how to keep safe or what safety plans that they have in place. Yes, that is a good flag. Uh, So in the email that I was talking about that I saw from the QP council, um, like my QP council, they had actually on the poster, and I think I saw these posters going around uh, all all around. And so it said, be safe and no violence on the poster. And what I actually really appreciate is there's a group here um, in Niagara. It's the, I think, I think it's this one. I'm I'm fair. I'm like 99% certain it is, but my memory is sometimes not the greatest, but it's the Niagara Reproductive Justice. And they will let folks know where a counter protest is, but they also have a form of debriefing and they remind people uh, to care for their own safety and mental well-being first. So they um, they don't just specifically do this, but I've seen them um, counter protesting and they'll put it in their stories where the counter protest is happening. And then they'll say, if you don't feel comfortable, like, you know, we don't want people to enter into things that put them in uncomfortable situations. But if you pass by and you see signs of anti-hate or whatever it might be, then they ask you to fill out the form. Um, And then you can also do the debriefing if you do attend. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I like how you mentioned that they have a debrief form. I think that's very important. Um, We should also mention, too, that some flying squads actually offer training. So on Instagram, for example, Smash UFT has information about a counter-protest 101 training um, where they have collaborated with students for queer liberation. At this training, they were covering community defense, strategy, our rights, and more. So if you're someone who wants to get involved, but you're not sure what to do, um, this is an amazing idea and probably attend the training to learn more. Yeah, and I think their training is, there's hybrid options too, where they provide links. I know even groups like 
um, Greenpeace, for example, which are known for like yeah. their super interactive demos. Quite often when they have training, they're, they're doing um, hybrid training as well, like as far as like what to expect or, you know, how to engage in these things, because it can be a little scary for folks. And I do, I think, Brittany, I think it was you who mentioned that it was important um, for folks to put their own safety and mental well-being first. Because yeah. I find sometimes in the movement, people can get a little bit, I don't know, they can say, well, where was this person? Why weren't they here? Why weren't they showing up? And, and we, it's important mm-hmm. that we do show up when we can. But it's also important to recognize that maybe it's not safe for people to show up or maybe they have something going on in their lives where they can't get to that event in that time, but they're helping out in other ways. So I just wanted to mention that, too, because mm-hmm. it's important uh, to, to realize when, when you know, it's, a, it's important to show up, but also understand there are many reasons why um, at that time some folks can't show up. And 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 just to pivot um, from some for, for some folks who want to show up at the QP Ontario <laughs> convention this year, we heard a lot of resolutions from retirees about how they want to be involved, too. Um, and so we want to give a shout out to, of course, uh, the QP retirees, but also obviously retired members division because they're looking for 10 applicants from each region to be leads to recruit, contact and activate retired members for campaigns and events. And these leads will form Flying Activism Squad. So each regional executive committee from the retired members division and OPSU will select 10 members from the respective region. So they have like a very structured organizing model. It sounds like um, QP retirees kind of rely a lot on QP councils, to be honest. Um, we might need to look at our structures in QP on how to better support the retirees. Uh, Unifor has like in Oshawa, like our retirees show up and there are a lot of them are like CAW slash Unifor retirees and they're super organized. So it's a great idea and wonderful way to build capacity. Yeah. And so if you basically, uh, if you wanted to start your own flying squad, it sounds like the best way is to find a group of friends. Um, or if you're part of QP, a QP council, or, you know, if you're part of labor, you can go to your labor council or other community groups, just like, for example, justice for workers. Um, they can be found pretty much in every region and Mm -hmm. you can chat with them about the importance of creating one and the reasoning behind what you want to, why you want to create your flying squad and see what their interest is, what folks interest is. And then when you hear of a protest, happening. So for example, around a drag story time, you can just communicate with the group via email, Facebook, Instagram, Signal, WhatsApp, Discord, or whatever <laughs> forum you all decide because there's so many. Yeah. Um, and so you can communicate with that forum and you'll put in the information about the counter protest. So time, place, what to bring. And then like we focused on also remembering your own safety, the group safety and no violence because that really is of the utmost importance. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Totally. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have anything else to add. Well, the only thing I would have to add is for folks that were at the QP Ontario Convention, uh, at the time of recording this podcast, um, people are still getting together that were listed in that resolution as to how to get these anti-hate flying squads up and running, as well as the training, um, the education resources that were in the resolution. So that's happening pretty much as we speak. <laughs> so yeah. look for more, look for more information there. And um, maybe now we can kind of switch gears and uh, we have a really exciting interview that we can jump to. How about that? Sounds great. Sounds great. Let's go. <laughs> we are so pleased to be joined today by a drag artist, Violet S. Parks, who's performed many times in our public libraries. Tiffany actually booked Violet back when she was a librarian with Oshawa Public Libraries years ago. And it was Oshawa's Public Library's first drag show, and it was a packed house. I've heard it was only standing room only. 
Yes, serving hair, glamour, and body yaddy yaddy. This queen has been performing for almost a decade, and in that time, she has swept the stages of Ontario by storm. She is the eldest daughter to the House of Parks and has her drag daddy's business savvy mind, eye for top quality entertainment, and a passion to perform and entertain the masses. This queen got her start in Oshawa and has graced over 30 communities in her career. She styles wigs for many of her favorite drag stars across Ontario and is recognized by top tier talent within the province. Yeah, Violet has also done my hair before for a photo shoot. I had, <laughs> so I can personally vouch that her talent is fierce. Thanks so much for joining us today, Violet S. Parks. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. It has been an absolute treat to actually be on a podcast. This is new for me. So uh, I've been performing for quite a long time now. I'm 28. And so I started when I was about 17, 18. Uh, There's a little youth group that was uh, giving people the opportunity to explore drag and what that means to them and things like that. And so I started so many years ago and have just leapt and bound across the province and grown into the powerhouse performer I like to consider myself today. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. This whole episode um, is about drag artistry being under attack. Many have no idea what happens at drag shows or drag story times at public libraries. Can you tell folks what they could expect if they attend a library drag show or story time? Of course. Um, Honestly, drag show story times are my absolute favorite event throughout the year. Uh, It's really empowering to be able to see the youth of tomorrow and the people who are going to potentially change the world and be the voters of tomorrow and the CEOs of tomorrow and be able to change the world one step at a time, be inspired by uh, just a really inclusive event all the way around. Uh, What to expect at a library drag show is Honestly, a couple performers dressed as like princesses or superheroes or just in some full glam drag. And it's reading stories and singing songs and dancing and just having a really beautiful experience all the way through. The stories really focus on inclusivity and just loving each other, loving our friends, making sure that no matter what skin color, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what gender, sexuality, with that we're just spreading love all the way through. So it's a really, really cool, inclusive event to be a part of. I love that. And I love that you said, you know, you're kind of, you know, inspiring, I guess, uh, tomorrow, like tomorrow CEOs, like that was that, it, that was really, that was really impactful. And it kind of leads into my question, which is um, why are spaces like this important and necessary? And why should we be including gender fluidity into children's programming? I think spaces like this are important and necessary because it's the families of today. Like there's so many different rainbow families and whether that means two moms, two dads, uh, a straight family that's an ally with just maybe like an LGBT plus family member or friend. Uh, And it really just shows and holds space for those people in the LGBTQ plus community uh, to just exist and be supported and show that there's people like them in the world, right? Uh, it's really inclu- it's really important to include gender fluidity in children's programming just because it shows children that there's not just a box to live in. You don't have to be just one thing that people are deeming as what a societal standard might be. You can literally be 
any variation of a spectrum. I'm a firm believer that both gender and sexuality are both on a little bit of a fluid spectrum. And I think it's really important to be able to embrace that at whatever stage of life you are in and whatever stage of life you are on a spectrum at that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. That's, and it's, it is, you know, as someone who worked in the libraries and brought in, uh, you know, a drag show and, uh, and just seeing folks come to the library after that and saying, I feel more uh, like the spaces were a place where I feel safer and where they would want to, you know, we had teens, um, you know, using the library as like a social space after that, which is what we want. We want them, we want folks there to feel safe. So it's, you know, things like that, you never know what kind of ripple effects you're having, um, but changing gears a little bit, um, but you kind of hit on this, Violet. Uh, folks listening, no matter where they are on the spectrum of their of their lives, uh, th they may have always wanted to try drag, but don't know where to start. What advice would you have for them? Oh, starting the world of drag is a fun one for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. It can be very, very expensive and very, very overwhelming because there's so many different categories and pieces that kind of go into it. There's wigs, there's shoes, there's tights, there's padding sometimes, there's elegant costumes, or even just any basic costume can add up when you put all those elements together. And mm -hmm. so it's really about taking the patience to find yourself and find who you want to represent as a character on stage, and just taking the time to practice, 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 uh, be super, super friendly and super like warm and all of the exchanges that you have with performers that may have more elder qualities or mentorship yeah. qualities <laughs> Drag and, uh, a thousand percent and uh just be very very mindful and open to all the experiences because it's all the bits and pieces along the way that shape us to be a strong performer later on that's nice. great. Um, so we're just going to shift towards allyship and what does allyship look like to you, Violet? And for our parents and caregivers who are listening to this podcast, how could they be a good ally? Parents and caregivers being a good ally is really showing up to different community events. You don't have to go to paid events like obviously this is a tight world we're living in right now but it's mm -hmm. things like the library story times where even as someone who might not have anyone in your circle that's part of the lgbt plus community but just to be able to spread that love and show your support is ungiving it can be sharing posts on facebook about love and acceptance it can be just teaching your kids about be loving and like accepting everyone around them right so uh there's so many different avenues and it can be a small stone or a big boulder it really just depends on the amount of energy that uh someone is what ready to put in for i love that was that an, an analogy is that i'm looking up tiffany library that's an analogy <laughs> i think <laughs> i'm gonna use it sometime again violet if that's okay I love yeah the small stone big boulder analogy that's, that's perfect. amazing mm -hmm. yeah i loved i loved that too and like lately drag artistry and drag story times have been under attack by the right wing which is like so heartbreaking and i know i'm from niagara and like we even have drag, I, I'm sure this is not new, I'm sure this is all over, but we have some drag brunches here as well, and they've been under attack as well. And so uh, some of your own events as well have been protested. So how does that make you feel? And how do you think is best for folks uh, who want to support these events? How, uh, how is it best for them to uh, counter protest? 
Honestly, the protests of the world right now against drag are, in my opinion, just so small-minded. I think it's people taking a problem that they hold in life that many people take seriously. Like, it's a very serious problem for sure. And they're taking a community that's less than 1% of the greater problem and marginalizing a whole community for it. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100% there are bad people out there in the world and every demographic, but bad people are going to be bad people. And when it comes down to the demographics of things, these bad people by far are in the communities that are spreading more hate than love anyway. So it's one of those crazy things. Having events protested is intimidating at times because you definitely can fear or like question your safety. Like it's one of those things where you don't know if you're going to show up to work and it's going to be one of the horrific tragedies like Orlando a few so many years ago, or if it's just going to be something simple and someone just yelling some mean words because they don't understand, they're not educated enough to understand what's really going on in different story time events. Right. Um, It was really cool at the recent Oshawa story time that we did. Uh, Some allies came out to the event knowing that there was going to be some protests and the protest did get quite ugly having uh, some different white supremacy signs and things like that going up. And uh, I believe it was actually the teachers union uh, showed up with a giant rainbow sign and just covered all of that hate and really outshined the love with the rainbow yeah. that the community really is. And I've seen that in a lot of different small community events where counter protests show up in as much rainbows and bright colors as possible and just show that the love outweighs the hate in a lot of ways. And even if it's one person, one person's voice is way stronger than no people's voice, right? So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. I think they're making like big, yeah, like they're bringing like big rainbow flags. Or I've seen some other locations where folks are bringing um, big like rainbow sheets or even like just like sheets in general to cover up the, um, I've, I know in, in the States, there was even um, people who made costumes with like giant angel wings to to cover up the hateful oh. signs and just kind Aww. of stick in them. So yeah, so that's, these are ways that um, people have been doing it. And it's, you know, that way also, also the kids going in the story time then they're seeing the love and like it's blocking out the hair is also important right so as someone who uh, now who's now a parent bringing uh kids to these it's it's so important uh for that too so um going on to like a positive note uh i don't know if you can just do one i mean you have time to do more than one if you want uh violet what's your most fabulous memory from a drag story hour or uh you know library program or other program in drag My favorite thing about like drag story hours and things like that are honestly the just the kids that come out and are just so all in in terms of like just accepting people at face value. Uh, in the, I want to say close to like seven, eight years I've been story doing story times for, uh, I don't think there's been one kid that's ever came up to me and has had to have that like point blank expression that everyone always dreads of the, are you a boy or a girl? Like <laughs> kids just don't know any different. They just know love. And so they just see people in a princess or as a queen or as a superhero and they're just there to enjoy the books and see all the bright colors and the sparkles and it's like a really cool event all the way around so I love when kids just like react 
uh, wholeheartedly to that. They'll ex- collect the little rhinestones that fell off the costumes on the floor and hold that yeah. as a little memory forever. Or the kids who are just decked out in full rainbow flags and attire and dresses and their own little fit that I'm like, all right, you're coming for my gig next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's really cool to just, again, see the people of tomorrow living authentically and having parents that support and share that love with them and uh, come out and just enjoy a different type of child-friendly entertainment in the world. Mm-hmm. That is great. Uh, Violet, thank you so much for sharing your story. I definitely learned a lot and it's great to hear your perspective and um, your journey through um, doing drag artistry and drag story time. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I think if anyone's ever on the fence of what a drag story time really is, I encourage you to go check one out in the flesh. It's a really different thing to experience and seeing is believing, as they say. And so to have so many negative misconceptions that are just going across so many different avenues of social media, take the time out of your day. And even if it's without your kids and you just want to look it up, look at it for yourself go Mm -hmm. check it out and see like what the reality is at hand here and it's the reality of everyone's just trying to do their day by day spread the most love possible and that's what's important all pride season but most importantly all year long as well so thank you guys very much for having me today oh yeah no we are so happy to have you and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be with us and um, I just, I wanted to ask one question, one final thing. Uh, do you have any social media handles that you want to share with our listeners? If not, that's totally okay. But if you do, uh, just let us know and we can add them into our show notes as well. Yeah, a thousand percent. So my social media handles are all under Violet Seductions, but that is my fabulous nighttime entertainment persona. As, uh, <laughs> that is not appropriate for children. So I am a part of the House of Parks, which is a legendary drag house in Ontario. And so when I'm doing family-friendly events, I like to be just Miss Violet Parks. So, But my Aww. social media is for my adult persona, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. And we'll, Thank like you. I said, we'll add that to the show notes. All right. Well, thank you again. Um, We hope you have a great rest of your day and have a wonderful Pride season. Yeah. Happy Pride. Thank you guys so much. Happy Pride. (laughs) And we're back. That was a great interview with Violet. Don't you agree? Yes, it was great hearing from Violet. I just want to thank Violet for taking time out of um, her busy schedule to meet with us. We hope our listeners really enjoyed the interview as much as we did. One thing that really resonated with me in the interview was Violet saying that people should take time to go to a drag story time and see and experience uh, for themselves before they have an opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, As noted in the interview, and I think I've said it several times in the podcast, I've been to many, many drag programming, both paid and, you know, unpaid, like the drag story times at libraries. And I encourage more, more to support the community and show solidarity when possible. Um, If you have kids, it's like a great place to take your, to take your kids where they can, um, like, I know Zoe loves to see the sparkles. Um, She's really into the sparkles. And she even got like a little tiara at one of them. It was so cute. Uh, Other ways. Yeah. You get little freebies other ways organizations and our unions can support the 2s lgbtqia plus community is by raising the pride flag and it may seem like a simple gesture to folks but it is a way of making a statement and telling folks that they belong 
especially in places and institutions where people spend so much of their time. Um, yes. So recently, the Pride flag was redesigned to promote more inclusion and progress. Um, since 2020, we are actually seeing more and more groups moving towards using the progressive Pride flag. And for our listeners who may not know what the progressive Pride flag is or look like, um, Brittany, can you tell them a bit more about it? Oh, totally. So <laughs> in 2018, a uh, graphic designer, I'm going to, I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounced her name, but I think I have it correctly, is Daniel Quasar. Uh, they redesigned the original pride flag by adding five arrow-shaped lines to the six-colored rainbow flag. So this is to symbolize those who are marginalized in the LGBTQ communities, including people of color, the transgender community, and those who identify as intersex or non-binary. Yeah, um, and that's actually the little pride flag that Zoe was given at her last uh, event that she attended, and so she like waves around the house quite frequently, and that's a progressive pride flag. So according to the LGBTQ Nation article, the inclusion of the arrow pattern points to the right to represent moving forward or progress, but being placed along the left edge of the original rainbow flag indicates that progress still needs to be made for the represented communities. The same article also states, quote, the new um, Progress Pride flag shows that racialized, transgender, and intersex members of the community face heightened levels of discrimination and violence today. There is a need for increased visibility and representation, end quote. We'll add the article link to our show notes so you can learn more about the meaning of the Progressive Pride flag. I will also include another LGBTQ Nation article, which helps explain the meaning of the many flags that are part of the 2S LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah, thanks for that explanation. Um, and yeah, there's, there's so many flags that folks can look through. And I think it's important as we move forward in advocating for the rights of the 2S LGBTQIA plus community, we can't forget how the intersectionality of race, age, gender, and other socioeconomic factors can affect one's experience within and outside the 2S LGBTQIA plus community. As we continue to do the work, we should continue dismantling barriers, preventing the 2S LGBTQIA plus community from thriving in Canada. It's a good thing that you mentioned this point. I was thinking of ways to support just beyond rising the uh, progressive pride flag or changing your logo to pride colors. I know that there's a lot that we can discuss, and I wish that we had more time to do a deep dive into this, but I think it's really important to flag a couple of things. So first, a great way of showing support is creating more economic opportunities for the 2S LGBTQIA community and ensuring that you're paying them for their labor. Yeah, that is very important. Um, I know usually around Pride, a lot of um, 2S LGBTQIA plus community members are asked to attend events um, Mm -hmm. and do all these activities. And sometimes organizations expect them to do it for free or for a low cost. Mm -hmm. And they deserve to be paid for what they're worth and paid for their time and their services. Um, We also know that having access to money can address many other systemic issues, such as access to housing, support, and other resources. I actually found stats on the 2S LGBTQIA plus community in Canada. It states that 60% of the community members in Canada earn $40,000 or less um, per year. And 40% are actually making less than $20,000 per year. We know the economy like Mm. right now and earning $20,000 or less per year is not a living wage. I live in Toronto and definitely that is not a living wage um, in Toronto. 
Mm-hmm. And so ensuring representation and diversity in our workplaces, hiring more folks that are part of the 2S LGBTQIA plus community will ensure that more members um, are able to break free of poverty and make a living wage. Yeah, well said. I want to build on Brianna's point, and I think it's a good thing to discuss before wrapping up our show, is ensuring that inclusive language is embedded into our workplace policies and collective agreements. And um, for example, uh, QP3902 has in their hiring policies that um, the employer must take into account lived experience uh, when it comes to hiring. And that includes lived experience of 2S LGBTQIA plus uh, folks. So that's like specifically Mm. in the collective agreement. And QP National has developed a great guide called Bargaining Beyond the Binary, a negotiating guide for trans inclusion and gender diversity, which provides um, great examples of how our collective agreements can support all workers and their rights. Yeah. And uh, they actually, if you attended QP Ontario convention, it was in your kit. <laughs> uh, I know this because my president was, well, first off, I know it because I saw it, but then my president also was like, we have to make sure when we do our bargaining that we include some stuff that's in this. Um, mm-hmm. So this guide is really helpful for locals who want to improve the collective agreements and address concerns around benefit coverage of gender affirming care, anti-harassment policies, access to safe washrooms and change rooms, and paid leave for gender affirming care. We will also link the document in our show notes. Um, and so for any locals who are bargaining or about to begin in the bargaining process, uh, like my local, um, I recommend that you check out this guide. Yeah, absolutely. And we only touched the surface on the ways we can support our 2S LBGTQIA plus siblings and community today. But I encourage our listeners to check out the links in our show notes. Uh, as we mentioned, there was a previous CupyCast episode called Queer Liberation, Not Rainbow Capitalism. So like, give that a listen. And if you're unsure how you, your organization or union can be an ally or accomplice, just reach out to the community and have a conversation. It's a stepping stone to understanding experiences and systemic barriers. From there, we can work together to dismantle these barriers and biases and ensure a better future for the 2S LGBTQIA community. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for everyone for tuning in t- into episode 26 of the QP cast. Um, drag artists under attack. What do we do? Slay. We want to take a moment to thank um, QP Ontario staff um, involved with this episode. Without them, this podcast wouldn't exist. Um, if you have future podcast ideas, please email us at info at qp.on.ca. That's I-N-F-O at C-U-P-E dot O-N dot C-A. We also want to thank the wonderful Muhammad Akbar for being the edit master. This podcast would not sound as good, great as it does without his talents. Most definitely. And especially this episode had a lot more components to it. So we want to wish everyone an excellent Pride Month, but also remind folks that this is also the National Indigenous History Month. So together we can continue our work to raise awareness about the cultures and traditions of Indigenous communities across Turtle Island and pledge to stand in solidarity in seeking justice and achieving reconciliation. Observed since 2009, this month is an opportunity to build awareness and solidarity with First Nation, Inuit, and Métis communities. We encourage listeners to check out more about the rich histories, cultures, and traditions of the Indigenous communities to educate friends and family and work as allies in eliminating racism and inequality. We uh, seeking justice and achieving reconciliation. You can also check out our QPCast episode from Reconciliation to Reconciliation. Absolutely. And as it's almost July, we want to recognize that July is Disability Pride Month in Canada. 
Visit CUPE Ontario's Workers with Disabilities Communities uh, Committee page on CUPE Ontario's website for more details. Uh, before we close out, we want to thank all of our incredible listeners for tuning into this episode of the CUPE Cast. Please continue to look for us anywhere you stream or download podcasts, which includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or on the CUPE Ontario website. Please follow or subscribe to the CUPE Cast. And if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Anchor or maybe Spotify, anywhere you can write a review, <laughs> please do leave us a message. Let us know what you thought about the episode or share the link with your friends or fellow members in your local. Our show notes have lots of information and you can also share it with your friends. And for all of you who found us at the CUPE Ontario Convention and said yes! hi, yes, you made our day. Thanks yes, for listening. Thank Sending solidarity. Mm-hmm.